Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guests as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Nikki. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You have been my guest before. I think it's probably been 150 episodes since. Like, I think there's, we're, we're probably broadcasting here somewhere in the 320s or 330s by the time this makes it to the air. Um, and, uh, our mutual friend, Sam had suggested that I have you on. I, like I said, I think you were in the first probably 50 episodes or something. So I'm delighted to have you back, Nikki. You're on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, much uh, later in the day, wrapping up your day. And I'm just getting mine started with a cup of coffee before we have our conversation today. How about I just ask you to introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself to those of you who don't know you to our listeners. Sure. Thank you for having me back. Uh, it has been a while. I was thinking before you came on, it's been just over three years, which is yeah, pre-pandemic, by. huh? It was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so yeah, quite lots to ch- change. Definitely uh, my my intro. Um, so I'm Nikki. I'm the co-founder of Fundraising Everywhere. And for those that haven't heard of that, we're an online organization that exists to make learning and networking and professional development accessible to everyone everywhere. Um, and we also run Everywhere Plus, which is a virtual events platform. Um, so we help charities and businesses in the not-for-profit sector keep connected to their audience in an accessible and engaging way, much like we do with our own events. Um, and it's myself and Simon Scriver who are running that, and we set that up um, not long after our initial conversation, actually, that was 2019. So that was pre-pandemic as well. So as you can imagine, the last few years have been a bit of a 
a bit of a wild one for us, but uh, in a good way. So, yeah. And yes, I'm here in the northeast of England. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Uh, isn't timing uh, sort of remarkable? Because you, so you, so you and Simon were conceiving of this idea pre-pandemic. Am I right? Mm, yeah, yeah. So we, I am. Um, I used to volunteer for the Chartered Institute of Fundraising. So I used to be on their uh, national convention board, uh, and he was volunteering for Resource Alliance doing IFC. Um, yeah. And we started kind of doing our own little training bits outside of that obviously we were consultants at the time I've worked in the sector now for about 10 years and well 11 12 years and, and he around 20 um so we started doing these like in-person things and um we were involved in a, a different uh conference and, and didn't get through to the to the final stages we were rejected and we um we just started having this like off-the-cuff conversation around you know building this new thing and how could we change all of the things that we didn't like about traditional um learning spaces and that was around you know how expensive it was the fact you had to travel the fact that it was the same you know names and, and people with with the privilege of being able to be up there or being connected uh to the right people to be up there and we wanted to strip all of that back um and the online medium was obviously a core part around that accessibility part because then you know there was no time uh, constraints there was no uh, massive you know travel uh, cost uh, attached to it and when we set it up we wanted to break the mold of of what learning and networking meant in the charity sector you know I'm I'm a, a parent um, and being away from home a lot uh, I can do it because you know I, I have a good support network at home but you know I've still got like the the guilt that goes with that but then there's some people who um you know, their teams uh, don't have the budgets to be able to send and uh, their, their staff along. Um, so, yeah, with 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 fundraising everywhere, uh, it, it kind of um, created this new way. And the pandemic did help. I know it sucks to say that, but it normalized the medium. When we started yeah. fundraising everywhere in 2019, you know, the first event was great. We had about 790 people there, but there was a huge portion of people that were like, oh, this isn't quality enough. You know, it's not... Um, it's not uh it, it's not right but what's happened now that people had to uh communicate that way through the pandemic is it's normalized it and it's helped people see like actually yeah this is great you know in you know if you go on a zoom or a teams then yeah the experience might suck but the the content is great the speakers are great and we can connect this way and it's still going strong and from that one event we've hosted oh i think over well between 30 and 40 conferences and, and webinars we do them every month we have memberships that people can, you know, register and, and come to everything uh, and they get extended access or they can just pop into the topics that are relevant for them. Um, and we've also gone into kind of more um, in-depth topics as well. So, you know, you've got your individual giving and your legacies and uh, your digital, but we also created BAME online and, you know, in, in the US that's BIPOC, so uh, British, uh, sorry, Black, yeah. Asian, minority ethnic uh, fundraisers. Um, and we created that in response to the news that a huge portion of charities that were due to close because of the pandemic were um, black and brown uh, owned and, and, and operated. So we um, we wanted to help. And none of the topics that we had even touched the surface of, of what our um, our fellow fundraisers uh, are facing. And we recruited Martha, our job, to come in um, and curate that. And following the conference, we actually just handed over the full IP uh, to them and, and their their um, 
their, their business because they were the right people to take it further. So it's not just the topics that we're looking at um, shaking up and changing the way how we do things. It's the equitable way that we collaborate and, and work with people uh, as well. And we pay all of our speakers um, as yeah, well. Let's, 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 let's sort of talk about uh, Martha because I've had an opportunity to get to know Martha. And, oh, cool. Uh, for my for my podcast listeners, she's been a they'll recall that she's been a recent guest on with Noah. She recently contributed to our journal, and um, and I know that you got you all just wrapped up the conference mm. here last last week, right? That was last yeah, yeah, yeah. week, and um, and and as as sort of a case study, uh, some of the writing that I've recently been doing, Nikki, is the idea that some of our frustration in the world, and perhaps yeah, some of our frustration in the world tends to be with what with what one author called narration narration sickness. It's the idea of who sort of gets the privilege of standing at the front of the room and telling the story. Mm. And, and it's interesting to sort of think about Martha as sort of one of those individuals, just as a case study who's been overlooked, hasn't had the opportunity, wouldn't or would be overlooked and wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to necessarily be at the front of the room. And yet because of the platform that you all have created, now she gets to be that storyteller. Um, is that sort of part of the vision that you and Steve, the, you and um, Simon, Simon's, I'm sorry, Simon, <laughs> you and Simon have is to sort of put different storytellers at the front of the room? hundred percent. So when we first started, um, we, you know, we, I don't even think we, featured in any sessions and still to this day you know I've probably just done one or two here because I was a fundraiser prior to doing this you know I've worked in community corporate individual given roles so there is some like value that I can add to things but we very much saw fundraising everywhere as being um like a facilitator like a connection so it's like here's some mint people doing mint things like Martha and here's some people that needed to hear it and then you know a step and back and allowing those people to go um and you know we do we don't take credit for Martha's success at all you know it was a hundred percent them uh and, and and their brilliance you know we, we created the concept of BAME online but what it is and what it's become is you know it's 100 percent down to down to them um but yeah we very much see ourselves as just being the co connectors between people um that that have something to say and we're very um we're really careful to not just you know work with people who are established in their careers um we've been running this fresh program to support uh, people who've joined the sector within the last 12 months um, by giving them like free access to the training and, and uh, coaching and support. And we're actually going to start getting them into sessions and conferences as well and saying like, look with a fresh perspective, like how have you been doing this? How have you changed that? So we very much value people and the, and the broad kind of spectrum of talents that they bring. It's not just based on who they work for, what their job title is and how long, you know, they've worked in, in the sector. Um, and you know, that comes from me and Simon, you know, when I, started in the charity sector I was really ambitious like I had a lot of great ideas um obviously you know did did really well in that particular side of my career but I never felt like I was taken seriously because I was junior or you know because I right. um, didn't have any qualifications um but now that I've been able to break out of that and have control of my own thing I've been able to see actually no I could do all of this stuff I am talented it's just I wasn't really kind of supported or, or, or given the space to explore that in my employed roles. So we want to make sure that our fundraising community and the community fundraisers that we have, they have that feeling that someone goes, hey, you, you're doing something amazing. Like, let's celebrate that. Let's learn more about that. Let's share it with people um, and let's build on it and see what you can do. And 
the response we've had from fundraisers is great. You know, people love getting paid because it pays the bills, but a lot of people um, say that it's reignited their love for their job again, or, you know, it's, it's made them fall back in love with working in the sector. And that for me is, that's a huge outcome that we just couldn't have really put a, a plan for, you know, it's just been this great outcome of what we've been doing. Yeah, I think, uh, so I have, uh, I have been thumbing through and I've got a copy of their book here in my hand. So those of you who are familiar with, uh, Jeremy Hyman's and Henry Timms, they wrote a book a number of years ago called New Power and they're the founder, co-founders of Giving Tuesday. And as uh, Nikki, as I've, as I've thumbed, I read the book a number of years ago and as I've returned to it for my own writing project, I've consistently thought about what you and Simon are doing. And part of what, part of what Tim's and Hyman's talk about is this idea of, um, of affording platforms of uh, essentially people creating platforms as you all have, um, and, and affording basically the space for people, people to have a voice. And it's, it's kind of funny that you describe your experiences early in the sector, almost identical to mine. I, I'm about 15 years ahead. Of, so I'm, I'm about 25 years into the sector, but I had that same itch, right? And I almost wonder if that's an itch that maybe the uh, traditional associations are not aware of, or is it just that, because uh, in some ways, some of what we do with our journal and what we do here with the podcast and some of what we, we aspire to do here uh, at Responsive with our roadshow is to afford, well, is to say, uh, to scratch that itch. There seems to be an itch amongst fundraising professionals, um, not only to have something to say, because I think a lot of us out there in the world have something to say, but to uh, to have the courage and the audacity to get up on a stage and say it. And so if, if some if an organized organizers like yourself are willing to give them that platform, um, we'll take it. Is that kind of part <laughs> of what's going on too? Is that uh, Tim's, would, Tim's and Hyman's would basically say, Nikki, that, if you're not nimble and quick enough, you sort of miss the boat. And I think that's kind of what you guys have done is that you've been nimble and quick enough. Um, and, and therefore you've, you're able to do things that perhaps the traditional associations can't do is, is am I right about that? Yeah. It's a massive compliment to, to be, you know, uh, included in that, in that newer power thing. And, and we would definitely see ourselves as uh, in in that vein and i'm not sure if you've read a book called be more pirate um yes very very yeah, I mean, to be where, yeah good yeah, cool. yeah, we're so, all reading the same stuff <laughs> <laughs> we had we had the uh, we had them on uh, one of our events our leadership event they came and did a session about how charities could be more pirate so anything that yeah. involves an eye patch you know i'm i'm there um so, <laughs> but yeah i think from day one we've always said our um our smallness, I guess, you know, and our our lack of, I guess, I was struck. I was going to say structure, but maybe structure is the right word. So we don't have a huge team and fundraising everywhere. There's myself, uh, Mandy, who's our community manager, and Alex, who is uh, our marketing head of marketing, uh, and obviously Simon and um, Bob's in and supports us. So fundraising everywhere is that it's tiny, um, and then obviously you know we have our 400 plus members who tell us you know what they need to learn about, and then we go off and make it happen. But we did find, especially in the early days, just that smallness and not having all of these. Uh, levels to go through or a board to get sign off on we were able to just make decisions immediately so we just use BAME online as an example which wasn't called BAME online at the time until Martha came in and, and did some research with uh, with with uh, the, the fundraising community we me and Simon discussed that and had a job advert out within an hour 
you know, and can you imagine having to create a new event and a new role in any other institute? Like it would just take ages. And by that point, like you say, you've missed the boat, you've let people down. So we very much yeah. do value our agility of being a small team. But even as we grow, we retain it and we do that by um, removing hierarchy as much as possible. So um, flat leadership is something that's always been really um interesting to me uh, and obviously I've uh, tested it out here and there and uh, for me I, I believe it's very much a continuous growth thing um so whilst I would kind of see myself as um not even the captain of the ship you know I believe our members and fundraisers are the captains because we just kind of do what they what they need and um, but in that be more pirate book they talked about like the the, the mate person who kind of uh-huh. then goes off and makes stuff done so that's how I I see our role in it but in the team like everybody has a, a say so when we um uh, you, you know, when we, so for example, recently we, we had a situation with uh, a, a partner who'd given a sponsorship uh, and a new story came out. It was the NRA one um, for anyone that's listening that was yes. familiar with that. Um, yes. And obviously we'd received money from um, one of the organizations, not the NRA, but um, from, from Just Giving. And we didn't really know what to do because if we gave that money back, like that's 50% of our income, we would have had to have reduced the team or close. So we didn't know what to do. So I went to the, we went to the team first and then went out to all of our members and just collectively said, like, what's the next step? Like, here's transparent. Like, here's everything that's happened. Here's one outcome. Here's another outcome. What do you think? And collectively, you know, we were able to come up with a pretty strong next step on that, which was to build our sustainable income, which is something that we've always wanted to do. We created a partnership policy, which has made it really clear about the people that we'll work with uh, in future. But as well, like we always fundraise and everywhere open and transparent about every step and decision that we do. So we're launching a manifesto in September that leans more into the holistic support of the sector. So We've realized that fundraisers come into our training and webinars and conferences is great. But if they're taking it back to a place of work where the structures aren't there to implement it, then what's the point? So we've realized that we need to support the sector as a whole. And yeah. that could be like partnering, you know, continuing to partner with BAME Online to, um, to, to, to continue with anti-racism work. Or it might be... Um, you know, we, we were uh, speaking with a potential partner around doing a report and supporting um, charities about having inclusive meetings and like, you know, ac- acceptance and support for local dialect and things like that. So we're going to lean more into that. And what we've done as part of the manifesto as we work it out, is we've documented every conversation, who it's with, what we talked about and when it happened to show like how we've reached this decision of the manifesto and its its particular columns that we're going to look into. And I, I bloody love it. Like, I love working in the open I love having a small team but having a massive community to draw upon and it feels like everything that I wanted and craved I guess as a fundraiser in my early stages of my career and still now we're able to do for other people and that just feels absolutely wonderful so one of the one of the things because I propose this question to you usually we ask our guests to come on here with a with a big idea bold opinion opinion and I reached out to you and said hey I want to have this conversation so I appreciate you having it with me <laughs> but one of the things that Tim's Hyman's and Tim's talk about when they refer to Giving Tuesday is the idea of the something that I talked about in my first book and it's the notion of sort of this relationship between growth and control and mm. and and part of what they talk about is is that the the traditional uh, early 20th century associations and professional groups or whatever, a lot of the, the traditional formats that professionals like ourselves and our 
colleagues would be getting together were designed for control. And in many cases, they were sort of controlling the narrative. They were sort of writing the rules and that, that, that sort of thing. And as I watch, as I watch sort of through social media, what, what, what is playing out in our associations, both on your side of the Atlantic as well as on ours, mm-hmm. is they tend to, um, they almost tend to be sort of conceived like, along the lines of control which is interfering with their opportunities for growth. And it tends to be sort of tied into getting in a lot of trouble and sort of governing politics and governing relationships. Is, is there an advantage that, that folks like yourselves and perhaps even uh, a very nimble format like we have here on the podcast, you know, Nikki, one of the things I don't want to do is I don't want to necessarily tell anybody how to do their job. And I feel like, I feel like platforms like you all are creating or like we're creating allows us to have the benefit of facilitating the conversation without without necessarily governing the conversation. Does it, do you follow what I'm saying? I, 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 yeah, don't, yeah. I don't know that, for example, I, I don't want to write the next set of Bill of Rights for anybody. Or, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to write governing documents for the sector or for the, or for the space. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want the benefit of hosting the conversation. I feel like that's what you all are doing as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I think like removing ourselves from the picture has a big value. There was something I wanted to mention before, uh, which I'll mention now. You, you talked about new speakers coming through and and them not um, like having the, the, I guess, the space to speak at things. And one thing yeah. that I would love to see is this kind of like removal of conference and, and speakers on a pedestal. You know, yes, yes. You, you know, people have great things and they're very talented, but we you know, there shouldn't be this emphasis on like, oh, they're speaking at a conference so they must be meant, you know, they're humans, they're doing their job, like they're there to share. And I think a, a great thing about like the virtual medium is that it does remove some of that, like they're up on a stage standing over me, like with a mic booming over me and it kind of levels out that learner uh, speaker yes. uh, relationship, which I really love. Yes. Um, and, you know, it was accidental, but it's something, a benefit that I've definitely seen over time. Um but back to your question there about um, controlling the content. Yes. So we um, we have um, multiple uh, ways that people can get involved in our events. So we might, you know, spot them in other places and they may be invited. Um, we go out to our community and ask them for references and introductions. And we also have uh, a, a request form. So if someone is like, I've got this good idea can I speak at your event and then we'll, we'll come to it when the event rolls round. Um, we're the only event organization um, that has very clear and published uh, EDI goals that we regularly overachieve that we hold ourselves accountable to and any partners that curate events on, on our behalf. Um, and because we pay speakers, I think it definitely opens up way more opportunities for us to bring in people who, um, you know, uh that might not be able to be involved in it if they didn't receive um some some kind of um uh, cash or payment for it obviously i've been involved in iof events um and i know that the board the volunteer board do put in a lot of work to uh curate uh conventions and people are invited which obviously it's not then just you know this that person or that person but the issue that we have with that when you're doing it in a small group is that it, your pools are limited you know to just the people that you know do you remember when that um app was going around like a couple of years ago which was clearly just harvesting data but it was like your your twitter circles so the people that okay. you interacted most with and you could yeah. see you know if you were like a white but all of your circles were white and it was like oh we need to do more work to extend our networks and, and start you know working with yes you, yes uh, i do remember people. that yes. Yeah, yes yeah exactly and but i find that when you when you 
you're a small team, even volunteers that are working really hard and come from the best place, then you do run into those issues that your 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 influence and your networks can only go so far. And that's why we want to just be really open and collaborative. One of the ways we did that was in July 2022. We tested a completely open format conference. It was um, over to you. And the idea was, um, as you registered to attend, which you could do for free, it was pay what you can. Um, at the same time, you could request the mic um, and you could talk about anything. There was no theme to the conference. Um, there was no obvious rules except, you know, no hate speech. Um, and it was great because the conversation through the afternoon just flowed everywhere. Martha was on it and she was talking about how, you know, EDI isn't anti-racism work and how we need to get better in that space. We had Sam Butler come on, who I know is another pal of yours, and, and he was talking about the issues that we face as a sector and how we could possibly overcome them. And then we did have people coming on that were like, here's an IG campaign uh, that I did and here's how it worked. And it was just lovely to see what people wanted to talk about when there was no constraints from, you know, a set, uh, like a conference theme or that a sponsor had put on them, things like that. And I find that when you give people the space, freedom and support to be creative they'll be creative as hell and they'll just come up with these mint things and that's why i love to see it. and we're not perfect you know we, we, we're still growing um there's there's definite definitely times where we've you know curated an event too late and the quality could have been a lot better you know had we had more time to plan these things but that's why we brought mandy in and um, so that we do have extra resource and, and skills there to be able to spend more time planning on on our events but i would love it if we got to a space where we fundraising everywhere didn't even touch the content at all. I'd love for this kind of platform where people could come on, record their sessions, and Simon's with me on this one, record their sessions, they get upvoted by the community, and then whatever, you know, is the big ones that people want, then we put that together in a conference and it comes through. Like, that's that would be, I would love to do something like that. But uh, small steps, because like I say, there's, there's like three of us at the moment, and we'll get there people are... So, so before I let you go, so one question I have is, so you and I have had a couple of con, we've never physically been in the room together, but I have to imagine that if I was in, you know, if you, if you came to the States or if, uh, if, if I was in, if I was in, uh, England right now, and we happen to be nearby, we, we could very comfortably and, and, uh, we could very much enjoy lunch at a local diner, for example. I, I, I think we've had enough conversation sort of a, across this, digital medium that we could do that do do um do part of the sort of the traditional are, are we trying in the traditional settings where we're trying to convene people at these large conferences and we're trying to sort of check a couple of boxes are we trying to do too much because in some ways i think some of what you're doing sort of checks the box on exactly what our people are looking for and then the camaraderie, camaraderie, and the relationship, and the you know the 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 cheeseburger that you and I'll share when we're finally on the same side of the Atlantic together. I, I don't know that we have to assume responsibility for. Do you follow what I'm saying? I do. I, yeah. I, I think in some ways, I think in some ways, part of what our traditional associations don't understand is that we'll, that, that that the genuine relationship building part. Most of us will take care of on our own and we'll convene in ways that we want to. And I don't know that we have to squeeze all that responsibility and, and, and put it on the, 
put it on the, I don't think you're owning that responsibility. I'm certainly not trying to do that here with the podcast. Does that make sense? <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, for what we did, we've always said we never created fundraising everywhere to replace in person or right, you know, right. replace uh, qualifications, things like that. It was always meant to be for the people who are constantly left out of these things. And as it happens, we've ended up bringing in people who weren't and they just want to be part of something um, that's that's grown into something new. Um, yes, you know, there are uh, people that do want to have, um, you know, networking things facilitated. Uh, again, another thing that Fundraising Everywhere is working on is working with local groups that, you know, have the support and uh, and locality um, in, in their own space that's led by them. But we would just feed in with content and speakers as they needed, but they were free to do their own thing because there is, you know, a need, I guess, for in-person stuff. What I find um, with the bigger events is that it's lost its way in purpose. You know, it's there to make money. Um, it's there for the, the the sponsors and big numbers to be able to come through so that, you know, that money can come through for, for various reasons. Whereas with ourselves, it's our purpose and uh, of, of running this thing was always around like the, the people um, and, and that need to that need it to be able to do to do their best. So, you know, do, do the other events need to exist? Yes. Do they need to change? Yes. Um, and we've, you know, offered our help and support to those places as well um, that, you know, haven't really been taken up or, you know, but I think they'll come around because they're going to have to because fundraisers are continuing to demand something better, to demand something more. And that's only going to continue. So, you know, we can continue with the old power methods, um, but eventually it will fizzle out because organizations like ours will will continue to be there for, for people. Uh, and as it happens, I am on your side of the pond in, in November, but I don't know if you'll be up at, um, in Toronto in, in November. Tor but... I, I, I took my daughters up to Toronto. Toronto's only, it's about six and a half, <laughs> seven hours north of us. And, uh, that's, and maybe a, we that's an all right travel for a burger, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so we, we, <laughs> we are, well, we um, did, uh, Toronto is a, a, a beautiful city and we did get up. That was pre pandemic too. That was the last, yeah. that was the last road trip that I was able to have with that my That was daughters. my last one as well. I was there February, <laughs> like 2020. So yeah, go, go hard on, on the last one. But, but yeah, I think, yeah, it, it we, when when we started doing what we were doing, we, we weren't saying like, look, we want to be the only ones. Look how great we are. We've always been really open about what we do and, and calling people in, you know, and calling people out where needed uh, to say this is how you do it. And there are a few organizations that have listened. For example, the FSI in, in the UK, um, I've had a couple of meetings with their new CEO and they're like, you know, technically they would be a competitor because they offer online training, but um, we're working with them because they, they want to like improve what they do. And, and they've got this awesome set of uh, um, values that they're leaning into. They're looking at being able to pay their trainers uh, that come through on their events. You know, they're looking at doing more online stuff. So it's equitable. And I'm like, great. Do you know, because this is this is what we wanted. We wanted more uh, learning and support available for people. And uh, it's like that thing, isn't it? It doesn't matter who does it as long as it gets done. Um, and and I, I've I've loved and again there are smaller organisations that maybe that's um, shoring up your point there, Jason. What you said before about maybe the small ones having um, more agility to be able to do it. Um, but yeah, we're definitely seeing it happen. Um, and I'd I'd love to I'd love to see what we do just be the norm. I I'd love for fundraising everywhere not to be an exception. I'd love for it to be what everybody's somebody, doing. Before we wrap this up, is somebody because it's built into your language. We pay our speakers. 
and uh, we pay our speakers, but but it's pay what you can. Is that part of what is that part of what some of our traditional organizers don't understand? Because it's actually you got you all have essentially reversed the business model, if you will. We don't pay our speakers, <laughs> and we charge a ridiculous amount of money to show up, and so. In some ways, you've reversed the business model, but but I guess what I'm asking is for you to pull back the curtain for a moment and tell me, does the business model work? Because in some cases, you're building it. You have to be building it on trust and mm. the confidence that at least somebody, enough people are going to show up and, and truly pay what they can yeah. at the, for the benefit. I mean, in, in some ways, Nikki, I think in some ways what you're demonstrating is is a business model that's based on a lot of what I've been doing research on recently is what is the difference between what is called sales mode and gift mode. And I think in the nonprofit sector, we don't understand that the gift mode rightfully belongs to us and we're over reliant on the sales mode, which is what belongs to the marketplace. In some ways, what you all are doing by saying pay what you can and we're going to make sure to pay pay for the people pay for the people who are creating the content and the value for everyone you're existing in what i would consider to be this gift mode which is a complete opposite of what our traditional associations do well not um, every event is pay what you can because if you remember jason we're working with fundraisers and we are yeah. conditioned to not want to pay anything um but no we do we do um so with our specialist events like ig legacies things like that you know that is paid for but still you know it's 45 quid um to, to come through on on early bird or you've got a membership where people can spread the cost and get yeah. access to everything for a much lower price but when we do something new where people like over to you people didn't know what they were going to learn because it was very much an open mic thing so we said look well let's just do it pay what you can so at least if you need if you're the sort of fundraiser that needs to get sign off from your manager you could just put zero because then you could just like come and, and test it because we really wanted to test the concept with an audience. Um, yeah. And then obviously pay what you can with, with BAME Online was really important because that audience, again, was people who were like, you know, their, their charities were in danger. So why ask them to, to, to pay? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's very much based on the events, aims and audience. But what we do find is that some people... Uh, with BAME Online, you know, we had someone paying 500 quid for a ticket when someone else paid for zero. With the pay what you can, um, yeah, I would say about 2% of people actually paid. Um, but in all, over the year, it all evens itself out. We don't make loads of money. You know, we're, we're a profit for, for good company. Last year, the organization as a whole, um, you know, pulling that curtain back completely made £15,000 profit, you know, yeah. for, for everything that we're doing. But then that year, this year, that's gone straight back in. Uh, to the to the business uh, and and making sure that there's a pot there to be able to continue paying speakers as we continue things through. But for us, it was always about like where that money was going and the difference it was it was making. Um, uh -huh. So that for me is is the success on it. But but yeah, we I, I don't think that we're at a place yet where we could do everything pay what you can because yeah, it's because it's anonymous. Um, I, I I think we would really really struggle. I would love to. 100% would love to, but it's that way up again, isn't it? Like that sponsorship conversation. It's like we could, but then we wouldn't exist anymore. So. Nikki, tell us what's on the, uh, before I let you go, let's, let's just, what's on the calendar coming up. We'll make sure to put some dates in the show notes. Uh, what's, what's on the, 
fundraising everywhere lineup before we let you go. Very kind of you. Um, so we have uh, in October, we have a couple of exciting things. We have the Charity Virtual Event Awards, which are free for everyone to enter. And you could win a thousand pounds if you win. So if you have had a fantastic campaign that you're proud of, and that you've hosted in the last year, please do enter your organization for that because we would love to celebrate you. Um, and that award ceremony uh, follows immediately after the individual given summit, which is on the 27th of October. Uh, it's going to be epic. It always is. It's the third year. Um, and we're going to be supporting fundraisers with that all important, you know, jump from the burning platform. What should they be doing now? And to help them get through uh, this recession with the rising cost of living. Um, in November, we have fundraising tech, which is we're inviting in all of these owners um, of these tech platforms, you know, right across the sector. And we're just going to be like grilling them and they're going to be teaching us how to use these things to their full potential. But the caveat with that is that whatever they present, it has to be use, usable across every platform. So it's really cool how they're, how they're doing that because it's not just, you know, a sales pitch. It's, it's totally open. Uh, and then December, we have the grants and major donor. I could be here. I could be here for the next 20 minutes telling you, Jason, but up until the end of the year, uh, yeah, well, the yeah. grants and major donors is on uh, in December, um, which is another fantastic event. And, you know, it's virtual. So everyone can come on to these things. Um, if you're not available on the time zones, if you're on the West Coast, for example, you know, you get 30 days post event to catch up on these things or uh, as long as you need whenever you remember. And then next year we'll be doing all of our epic uh, conferences all over again. Um, and um, do check out our podcast as well on Spotify because some of the sessions and highlights that we have, uh, they get repurposed. So uh, if you're a podcast fan, which obviously you are because you're listening to Jason's, uh, do check out the Fundraising Everywhere podcast uh, on Spotify and Apple. iTunes, isn't it, Apple? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Nikki, it has certainly been a pleasure. I've uh, I, I've in, always enjoyed the conversations. Uh, thank you. I consider you a friend. You're always <laughs> welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much, Jason. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.